0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. your life, there's nothing that can ever come in offense to that. When you know that falling in love with Jesus is truly the best thing that's ever happened to you, better than winning the lottery, better than going on a date with that guy or that girl, better than anything you could ever encounter, that's when this becomes more than just a song on a screen. That's when this becomes your, your fight song. That's when this becomes the anthem in your life that falling in love with Jesus is the best thing I've ever done. Why? Because I'm protected. Because i am never Disconnected, And there's truly no place I'd rather be found than in love with Jesus. If you love Jesus, why don't you just give him a shout of praise? Come on. If you love Jesus, tell him you love him. Amen. Amen, friends. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. I thank God for sending Victor to us. Come on, Victor. I'm gonna have you sing more songs, brother. That, that Wendell's no slouch either, though, huh? Come on. <laughs> so before we uh, hop into the, the message today, we're going to be in Lamentations, the book of Lamentations, which is right after the prophet Jeremiah's book in the Old Testament. We're going to be in the first 11 verses, and as the kids are making their way uh, to kids' ministry, uh, I, I, I need to have a brief disclaimer for any parents in here that uh, Lamentations 1 has some pretty graphic content in it. Uh, so if you have any kids that you maybe wouldn't want them to hear about some of the more graphic nature of Scripture. Uh, Don't worry, it'll still be like PG-13 in here. Um, But there are some pretty graphic things that that the prophet talks about. So uh, any extra kids, kids ministry is available for you. The deep end's available for you. Go ahead and go back and 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 we'll just praise God together. I'm so grateful that we have kids and kids ministry. I'm so grateful that kids ministry has consistently grown Sunday after Sunday after Sunday that we've got kids that are coming back into church and professing, professing faith in Jesus Christ. We had two kids give their heart to Christ last Sunday And it is just, it's amazing. Yeah, hallelujah. All right, so in Lamentations chapter 1, it talks about kind of the the back end of love. Falling in love with Jesus is indeed the best thing that we've ever done, but sometimes love can come equipped with grief, can't it? Sometimes love can come equipped with uh, pain and mourning and loss. And if you don't experience the depth of these negative emotions, grief, pain, mourning, loss then I would venture to say, perhaps you weren't in love in the first place, right? That if you truly love something deeply, that the loss of it is gonna cause you to grieve, it's gonna cause you uh, to mourn. And while this may be an unpopular opinion, uh, I think it's a safe assumption to say that every single one of us in this room are grieving, that we're grieving something. Whether it's small and shallow, like your favorite NBA team lost last night, maybe you're grieving something. Or it's something like <laughs> a vehement head nod from a couple people, people. Uh, or, or it's something deep and extremely personal. Like the loss of a child. The loss of a spouse. A friend. Intimacy that was once there in a relationship. Whatever the case may be. I do believe that every single one of us in here are grieving something, uh, and if any of you aren't grieving something, just ask your brother or your sister sitting next to you if they need help grieving, because I'm sure that there is plenty to grieve in all of our lives. And, you know, I, I quote this guy pretty often. He's a pastor uh, in New York City, an author, great author. His name is Pete Cazero. He wrote some books called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, some really good stuff in there. And he's got a quote on grieving that I think is important for us, and it's that good grieving is not just letting it go, but letting it bless you. That you know that you've actually grieved something once it begins to become a place of blessing for you. Once you begin to see the Lord in the pain. Once you begin to see the Lord in the grieving. And God uses grief and loss as some of the primary ways to enlarge our heart and soul. So we can live a very shallow life in the Christian faith if we just don't touch the bad stuff. If we stay away from grief, if we stay away from loss and we just keep it moving and we don't, have, we don't look at it too long because I'd rather just look at the good things but that that leaves something in our hearts church that if you don't get it out of there it it doesn't leave it just stays there and you'll know it's there right when someone cuts you off on the road or when someone bumps into you you know that there's something else going on inside of there and and the book of lamentations is going to offer us a pathway today it's going to offer us a pathway to appropriately grieve and appropriately mourn that will help us grow that will help us hope and will help our souls be refreshed again. How many of you want to praise God about that? Come on, for your soul being refreshed again. So, as we start this six week series in the Book of Lamentations, I need to just give a little bit of intro to the series. The series is called Good Mourning. That there's a good kind of mourning. And oftentimes, I think when we're in grief and loss and mourning, many people just say sorry. And we say, Yeah, I appreciate you saying sorry for whatever it is I've lost. But ultimately, we are called to see God in all things. We are called to see the Lord's hand in all grieving and all mourning. And in this often neglected book, it doesn't get preached very often, the Book of Lamentations. We're going to spend six straight weeks in it to see how we can employ some good morning in our lives uh, and take our sorrows to the Savior. That this can begin to sort of beat down spiritual discipline pathways in our hearts to grieve the difficult things of the world, to lament over the painful things in the world. And we have these uh, scripture journals. If, if any of you really like to journal, if that's a great spiritual discipline you have in your life, we have some available on the Connect desk uh, if we run out of them today, uh, which more people took them in the 930 service than I anticipated. But I'm, I'm also prefacing this by saying, if you journal, because if you're anything like me, if I go to a church and the pastor says there's something available, I usually just grab it. Even if I'm gonna use it or not, I'm just like, oh, I take it. And I'm like, what is this? I don't, I don't need this. But uh, we have scripture journals because as we work through this, my hope, my goal as your pastor is six weeks in the book of Lamentations that some of you will get freedom. Freedom for the first time, uh, perhaps in days, weeks, months, years, decades, generations, because there's been things in your heart that you have not appropriately grieved. And guess what? They're still in there. Right? So this gives us a pathway to lament, a pathway to get mad at God, to yell at him. It's okay. You will not intimidate God with your raised voice, I promise you. But he wants you, every part of you, every emotion that you have, he wants that. And he wants to deal with you through that. So as we go through this often neglected and forgotten book in the Old Testament, Lamentations, which I believe to be written by the prophet Jeremiah, it's an amazing piece of literary artwork where it's an acrostic uh, Four out of the five chapters are acrostics, which means that every line starts with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So for us, it would be like a poem that would go A, B, C, D, E. So uh, chapters one, two, and four are acrostics. Chapter three is a triplet that's also an acrostic. So it goes A, 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 B, 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 C, C, C. Beautiful poetry, beautiful artwork that Jeremiah, who I believe is the author, although he's not uh, formally ascribed as the author, I think he is because of where this fits in in time. We're going to see some really incredible things that I hope that God will use to do something miraculous in our hearts. So, we're going to rewind back to 587 BC when the Babylonian armies at the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar come into the southern kingdom of Israel. Judah is the southern kingdom where the city of Jerusalem lies, and they are taking over the city. They are destroying the city. They are pillaging the city. Terrible things are happening. And I believe that Jeremiah, after he prophesied throughout the book of Jeremiah, is standing watching this happen, is seeing what has happened to his beloved city, his hometown of Jerusalem, where he, as a young boy, was called to be a prophet for God. He said, you're going to speak for me. And he tried to say, like, Jeremiah's first word, I love it. The first word he says uh, in, in in the book of Jeremiah, Any any anybody have a guess, extra credit, when God says, you're going to speak for me? He says, ah, A-H is the phrase, like, ah, I don't know if I can do that, right? So he's not sure, but As he mourns over Judah, we see some really, really beautiful things begin to happen. So lamentations, the root word of that is lament. What is it to to lament? What is a lament? It's, it's a passionate expression of grief and sorrow. So it incorporates passion into it. Uh, a great pastor in Indianapolis who wrote an awesome book last year called Weep With Me. If you're looking for something to read this year, read Mark, Gro- Mark Vrogop's Weep With Me. Really, really good book. He calls it a prayer in pain that leads to trust God. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads us to trust God. And it's in the Bible as a helpful tool for us. So ultimately, this is a tool for us to employ in our own lives, because there are terrible, destructive realities that are going on around every single one of us murder, abuse, sexual, physical abuse, emotional abuse, fatigue, famine, plague, sexual immorality, wars, genocide, racism is going on all around us every day so what do we do with that that's the whole point of this series called good morning you take your sorrows to the savior because when we can accurately process these things we can be free amen we can be healed in the name of Jesus that we can get through this stuff. So God has given us a means to process grief with him. Again, this is good mourning. Good meaning right and needed. This is necessary mourning in our lives, taking our sorrows to the Savior. And the big idea for today is that lament allows us to honestly ask God the hard questions. Lament allows us to honestly ask God the hard questions. How many of you have ever had a hard question for God? If you haven't... I- I need your help. Every day I'm like, God, what is happening? So this gives us the pathway to do it. So how do we do it and how do we helpfully process this grief? We're going to look at three hard questions over the first 11 verses of Lamentations chapter 1. So let's all turn in our Bibles. Lamentations chapter 1. To verse number one, we're going to look at the first 11 verses as we ask ask these three hard questions of God. And again, there's explicit content in here. There's some graphic imagery in here. But we have to understand what Jeremiah was seeing from God in order to rightly understand how we're supposed to do this in our lives. Amen? Okay, let's read verses one through three together. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The first hard question that we need to ask God is how could this happen? That is, in fact, what the first word of this book is. So in chapters one, two and four, the the three darkest chapters in the book of Lamentations, it starts with the same word in Hebrew. And in fact, in the Hebrew Bible, this book is not called Lamentations. This book is called this Hebrew word, which means how, why? How could this happen to me? It, it exclaims this deep pain. It's one word, and it's what the book is actually called. How is this happening in my life? How could this possibly have happened? How come, God? So immediately we have the freedom through lamentations to ask, God, how could this happen? What is going on in me? And the poet, who I believe, again, is Jeremiah, is utterly shook At the destruction of Jerusalem, he's standing over his hometown, seeing that it's completely desolated. You'll see him refer to Judah as a she. You'll see him refer to the city woman kind of interchangeably because Judah was God's bride. This was God's people. He said, I shall be your God. You shall be my people. And then in this book, there's a lot of talk about adultery and idolatry. So you'll begin to see how this begins to work itself out a little bit more. And he says, you were once famous. But now look at how you've been brought low. You were once a princess, but now you've become a slave. Verse 2 says that she is weeping bitterly in the night that the people of Judah have been carried back off into exile. That the exodus event of being delivered from the Egyptian hands of slavery has been turned around and now they're delivered back into slavery by the hands of the Babylonians and they're being put back into exile. It's a complete reversal of the exodus event where God removed them from slavery and brought them into the the promised land the thing they've been waiting for for generation upon generation and now it's turned over again and why we get the answer in deuteronomy chapter 28 deuteronomy 28 is it's got two sections in it one is blessings for obedience the other is curses for disobedience So we see what happened in Judah, but I just want to read these four verses. Deuteronomy 28, 64. You don't have to go there in your Bible. You can write it down if you want. Deuteronomy 28, 64 through through 67. When, When Jeremiah asked this question of why, how come, how could this happen? We see the answer from God speaking to the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy. And the Lord will scatter you among all peoples. From one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations you shall find no respite, and there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But the Lord will give you there a trembling heart, failing eyes, and a languishing soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day shall be in dread, and you shall have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, if only it were evening... At the evening you shall say, if only it were morning, because of the dread that your heart shall feel and the sights that your eyes shall see. So this shows up in the curses for disobedience for the nation of Israel. So there was disobedience found in the nation of Israel, and and Jeremiah knows this, and he sees this. He sees what has happened, but he is still shocked He can't understand how this could happen to the city that was once so great, this city that was the house of the one true God, the living God of all the universe, chose to be worshipped here in this city. How could this happen? So for us as a spiritual discipline church, lament allows us the opportunity to go to God asking the hard questions and to acknowledge with God this is not the way things are supposed to be, that things are not supposed to be like this, God. So lament allows us to take this kind of language to God. And I think that this is commonplace for us. Whenever we encounter circumstances of difficulty, we often wonder how could this happen? And this event is still being talked about in the nation of Israel. It is a a national identifier, a marker of when they were sacked by the Babylonians and the temple was destroyed and desecrated and they can't forget it. Think about just some of the massive events that have happened in the last two generations in our country. Very few of us will ever forget where we were in 9-11. Very few of us will ever forget where we were if we were alive during Pearl Harbor. Very few of us will ever forget where we were during the riots of 2020 or the riots and and, and the race riots with the civil civil rights movement, very few of us will forget these nationally identifying markers. That's what's happened here to Judah, that these moments are moments that they can't get rid of and moments that they have to ask, how could this happen? But I think perhaps even more deeply searing in our hearts are those moments of deep personal grief, like the loss of a child due to a miscarriage, when you say, God, how could this happen? Like the loss of a spouse when... You just couldn't work it out. You say, God, how could this happen? Or you're a healthy eater and you get cancer at 38. How how could this happen? God? Or I've never smoked a cigarette in my life and I have lung cancer now. How how, how could this happen? Without the appropriate means or outlet, this stuff stays inside of us. And the long-term effects of this on our mental, our physical, our spiritual, and our emotional... Are life-changing and devastating that if we don't have a place to take this stuff if we can't go to God with our lament if you can't really bring everything to him like why'd you do this then it's going to stay in there and the first time you get cut off on the road or the first time your beaker gets bumped into it's going to shake up and you're going to see that it's still there where does it go if you can't take it to God usually you pour it out on those around you and you end up hurting other people. So this is a very healthy spiritual discipline for us. And when we look at this, when we look at lament as a means that God gives us to go to him, asking the hard questions we are allowed to do this in fact he wants us to do this we re, we acknowledge the reality of our broken world around us we acknowledge the reality of that things are not the way they're supposed to be this is not how it was supposed to be god so we can go to him and say how could this happen because the, the problem that we run into it, that i've seen in christianity is we we live on two poles emotionally one pole is totally stoic, right? Where something terrible happens and we're like, oh, yeah, that's bad. And I'm not going to get too upset. I'm not going to get too high. I'm not going to get too low. I can't allow any negative emotions to come out of me because I'm Christian and I need to maintain a good witness. And then on the other side, we live on like this side of Pollyanna optimism that like, oh, everything is awesome, right? Like it's everything's fine. Jesus is Lord. Don't worry about it. Yeah, so what? That this whole city just got exploded. So what? That girl got raped. And we're like, it's all good. Jesus is Lord, right? That's not false, but it's incomplete. That doesn't complete our Christian journey emotionally. We are to bring all of this to God because it's in there. I, yeah, I, I can say this, right? I've counseled enough at this church to know that it's in there, friends. All of us have it in there. All of us. So without lament, we don't have the pathway to bring this stuff to God. If we don't know how to do this appropriately, we can't do it because this is what Christianity is. This is what God's heart is. God's heart laments and grieves over the things that are not the way they're supposed to be. God's heart grieves over the pains of war, murder, genocide, racism, abuse, all these things. God's heart is sad about this. And we as believers are called to cry about this. We're called to weep with those who weep. That's not a figure of speech. We are called to do this together. Because life is not like the movies. The consequences are real. I saw the first movie that I've seen in five years, which also reminded me really quickly, like eight minutes in, why I don't go to the movies anymore, because it's just too loud. I'm at that, is anybody else at that age where the movies are just too loud? And you're like, why is this so offensive? like the volume is just too much for me. But I took my sons to see a PG-13 movie, so go ahead and judge me. Okay, good. We're through it. We're over it. Uh, Godzilla versus King Kong, right? Wow, people are cheering. Hallelujah. Wow, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Because it's actually like the same movie, right? Did you know that the same thing happens in every movie with Godzilla and King Kong in it? For the last 60 years, they've been the same outcome, right? Okay, all right. Uh, so anyway, but how our life is not like that movie is that in one hour and 53 minutes, multiple cities were destroyed, right? And the movie just ends and they walk off into the sunset. And, and Ezra said, look, it's King Kong's butt. And I'm like, okay, that's, this is what we did this for. All right, amen but like the entire city of Hong Kong was destroyed, but the movie ended. They still had consequences in their life. Millions of people's lives were destroyed, right? Because of these buildings that were crushed and people that died. But in the movies, we're like, oh, we can just act like this and, and now we think that we could actually behave like this where there's no real consequences, but The lament continues in our hearts no matter what we see happening. It continues on with us and we've been so conditioned by the entertainment industry to think that stuff comes and then it just goes away and it doesn't have any kind of residue in our hearts like the music you listen to, the things you let into your ears, right? The things that you allow your eyes to see and then those images continue to come without the appropriate pathway of lament. That stuff just stays in there, friends and we have to do something about this. So lament gives us the pathway to say God, how could this happen? And then going a bit deeper and much more personal, the second hard question that we ask God is, what did I do to deserve this? When my heart is broken, what did I do to deserve this, God? I'm a good person. I help old ladies cross the street. I eat healthy. You would think with all the money I'm saving on not eating as much food that I could buy a jacket that fits me today, Amen. Come on. I know. I put it on this morning and I was like, that's okay. I'm just going to go for it. That wasn't in the notes or the Bible. What did I do to deserve this, God? Verse 4. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival, the religious feasts. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her. Why? For the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her, Her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously. Therefore, she became filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She shook no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible, and she has no comforter. What did I do to deserve this? The prophet Jeremiah is weeping over the brokenness of his city. Weeping over the brokenness of his people. Weeping over the brokenness that he sees happening. It includes all the context of their religious worship as well. The temple's been desecrated. The former things have been desecrated. And the imagery that's going to come out here in verses 7 and 9 are meant to utterly shock the Hebrew reader. That if you were a Hebrew at this time or if you uh, were part of the... If you saw this book published, you would be shocked... Right? It would be, how many of you have ever ever read a book that you're like, oh, I don't like where this is going, and you have to close it? Or you're watching a movie and you have to turn it off because you can't bear to see the ending. Verses seven through nine in the beginning of Lamentations, that is what this is. It talks about the precious things that Judah had. It talks about a traumatic turn occurring, how she's in affliction and wandering and humiliated, and her foes are openly gloating over her. Because in the surrounding cultures, if a woman were caught in adultery, she would be brought to the middle of the city and her clothes would be pulled up so that the whole city could see her nakedness. And there would be shame cast upon that woman before an inevitably more terrible fate of probably being stoned. Jeremiah is using this language, why? Not just to create a vivid illustration. He's using this language because he says, you remember those lovers you chased after in verse 2. You remember those nations and their gods that you chased after in verse two. Now look at how they're treating you. They once gave you honor, now they are humiliating you. This is so painful and unbearable to the prophet and it's so painful and unbearable to Judah herself. It says she groans and turns away. She can't even bear to look at the position that she has gotten into and it says that her fall was terrible, the sense of these verses is a city that has been stripped bare torn by war and pillaged by the Babylonians. It says virgins were afflicted. That means raped, church. This is a terrible fall that has happened to the city. And we're left with the question when we see this vivid imagery of what could Judah possibly have done to deserve something like this? If this God that I serve is so loving and good, what could Judah possibly have done to deserve something like this? In verses 5 and 8, we see the answers, and no matter if you think the crime fits the punishment or not, God gives the answers. God gives the answers for why the Babylonians were used to cause these things to happen to Judah. In verse 5, it says her transgressions were many. In verse 8, it says, Jerusalem sinned. In verse 9, it says, therefore, the Lord afflicted her using the Babylonian armies after years and years of patience and prophets being sent to them, basically saying this, stop doing that, you're going to get hurt. If you're a parent, you can resonate very, very quickly with a prophetic God, right? Because as parents, we're often pretty prophetic with our children, amen? When you're like, if you touch that, It's going to hurt. And then they touch it, and then they get hurt. And if you're a loving parent, your first response is not, I told you so. What's wrong with you? I told you you'd get hurt. Your first response is, oh, my child is hurting. And there's sadness. I don't want this to happen, but how else are you going to learn? For some parents, it's impossible for them to discipline their children. And then you know what happens? The courts do it. Or the streets do it. So for us, this, this is actually loving. It doesn't feel loving. But this is actually the love of a father saying, I've been patient. And I know, and this is what's going to happen. He could have easily just obliterated Israel. They wouldn't have been a nation anymore. But instead, he allowed their promised land to be taken from them. And there's this terrible fall. So what do we do today? Today. Right. We're not called to mourn over Judah's destruction in 587 B.C. That's not on the forefront of many of our prayer lists, I don't think. But what are we supposed to do about this today? We can mourn and lament that things are not the way they should be. But we should also mourn and lament that our own rebellion and sin is at the root of this brokenness. Now, we have to be really careful and cautious here because I don't want you to hear me saying something I'm not. I am not saying if something terrible happens to somebody, it's because of some sin they committed. Right. That's not what I'm saying I'm not saying that uh, if a woman gets physically abused It's because she said a word she wasn't supposed to I'm not saying that if, if a man gets cancer in his 30s It's because of some sin he committed when he was 17 That's not what I'm saying at all I'm also not saying that that's not the cause Right. But what God is saying is that yes Nothing is as it should be And the brokenness that the world is experiencing Is a result of humanity's sin so everything that we encounter is a result of sin. It might not necessarily be the result of your sin why B happened to you, right? A, you sinned, B happened to you. That's not necessarily the cause. It could be God could absolutely be allowing you to experience consequences of your own sin. Amen? Well, that was like eight people. Wow. Let's just by a show of hands. Who, who has incurred consequences from your own sin? Oh, okay, all of us. Good, we're all here together. We're called to care first and foremost about the pain and tragedy and terrible things that happen to the world around us. I had a phone call with a woman this week, and uh, she said that her friend's been in an abusive relationship for two years. And I said, "What have you done?" She's like, "She asked me to keep it a secret." I was like, "Okay, all right, I hear you, and I get it. Right? That's that's not uncommon at all." I said, "Who's praying for this? You know, what are, what are we going to do about this?" We have to pray. Uh, And she said, I had heard about it for about a year, and then she told me about it. So now I feel like I have to do something about it. When it touches our own lives, we tend to get much more active. But the reality is, children are dying right now. The reality is, like, cities are being blown up right now. So... Just because you're not encountering the consequences of your sin, the entirety of creation is encountering the consequences of sin at all times. So we are called to be people that mourn. We are called to be people that say, God, how could this happen? And God... What did I do to deserve this? What did we do to deserve this? What are we going to do? And when we bring these hard questions to him, he comes back with the answer and says, sin has impacted and broken everything in our lives and the world. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about the sin in our lives? A great Puritan pastor, John Owen, maybe some of you can complete this quote, said, you better be killing sin or it will be killing you. Right. So we have work to do. Yes. But I'm not saying that what's happening in Israel and Palestine right now is because I sinned in some way, right? It's not, it's not simply that univocal all the time where it's a one-for-one one comparison. But we all have consequences for the sin in our life. And if we don't experience the fullness of the consequences like what happened right here, that's simply grace. That's all that is. But for each and every one of us, we have to learn how to lament like this. We have to learn how to take our sorrow to the Savior. We have to learn how to take the pain of sin shown throughout all of humanity because humanity has rejected God in his ways. I don't know if that's a news flash to anyone in here, but humanity has rejected God. They don't want God. We in our flesh don't want God. We want to do whatever we want to do. And then when these consequences come, we say, what did I do to deserve this? But if we don't have this pathway beaten down in our hearts to appropriately lament and to say, God, this is so hard. I need, I don't know what to do. How come? How could this happen? How could this happen in my life? And then when we see it in our own lives, let's make it real personal real quick. When we see the brokenness of our own lives played out because of our sin, you know, everybody gets to a point where you can't blame somebody else anymore. Y'all know what that's like? Ownership. Yeah. Ownership. What are we called to do? The the practice of lament takes us into introspection and out to confession. Into introspection to say, I need help. And out to confession. Confession to the Lord, first and foremost. Confession to your brothers, it says it in James, it says it in First John, right? So like there, there is a very clear pathway that where lament with our own sin and our own brokenness takes us inward and then takes us outward because it can't stay in there, right? If it stays in there, it's going to kill you. And then it allows you to own up to your own rejection of God and allows you to own up to your own sinfulness of God, recognizing one thing. I need his purifying holiness. I need his grace. When we look at sin in our life the natural step out is not how can I fix this or why did this happen it's God I need you every prayer of lament is we turn to God and then we complain and then we act and we land on trust We say, God, I trust you because I cannot do this on my own. We can't just stop at what did I do to deserve this after we've asked how could this happen. The last question we have to ask as we are looking at God and as we believe he's looking at us. But the final question asked here from Judah in in verse 9 is, God, do you see? Do you see me? Do you see what's happening to me? And this is a deeply theological question where we say, a God who deeply loves me, there's no way he could see what's going on in my life and not rescue me from it. That's the curse that we run into, right? That's the curse we run into. Because there is a rescue available. Hallelujah. Let's read uh, verse 9, starting in um, part C. So, O Lord. This is the first time we hear from the woman. This is the first time we hear from Judah. O Lord, behold my affliction. Look at me, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has stretched out his hands over all her precious things. She's seen the nation enter her sanctuary, those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. We hear the woman cry out now. We hear the woman say, look at me. Look at the position I have fallen into. Look at the location of my life right now. Help me. Do you not see my affliction? Do you not see how I am despised? In verse 10 and then verse 11, it takes a shocking turn, another shocking turn. And and the imagery here in verse 10 is a sexual assault. That is what happens in verse 10. That Judah in her reckless promiscuity, ran after other nations, ran after other gods, ran after other idols, and said, I'll, I'll, I'll give my worship here. I'll give the depth of my humanity here. I'll give the depth of my being. I'll give the, the, the precious things. This is why it says that, that the nations have put their hands on her precious things. They've assaulted her because she gave herself to a so New Testament theologian named Christopher Wright. He puts it like this. It verse 11 symbolizes in the worst possible way the utter triumph of the enemy. In Jerusalem's case, the compounded tragedy is she who had run after her many lovers among the nations and their gods ends up being viciously violated in the very house of the god she abandoned. So why is this happening? God, how could this happen? What did I do to deserve this? And God, do you see me right now? Do you see the pain that I'm encountering right now? And we need to sit in this, church. Judah is not that much different than our hearts. When we have ran after the things of the world. When instead of giving Jesus our full worship, we give it to money. When instead of giving Jesus our full worship and our full intimacy, we give it to whatever man or woman smiles at us pretty. So when when we look at this in our hearts, when we look at this in our lives, it should draw us so deep into love with God our Father and Christ our Savior. And we should say, I see what happens with adultery and idolatry. I see the outcome here. Lament gives us this means, church. Lament. And and this is not a message meant to beat you up. If you're feeling guilty or convicted, just praise God because he loves you. That is exactly what this is, right? Guilt and conviction are signs of grace in your life. Shame is from the enemy. Guilt and conviction are signs of grace in your life where God is saying, oh, you feel bad about this. Thank God. That means you're not fully given over to your flesh. There's still something in there that's fighting, right? Uh, So I'm not here to beat you all up today. That's not what this is at all. But we have to understand this pathway of lament. We have to begin to beat this down in our hearts, right? As we're walking this trail through the wilderness, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like I live in the wilderness all day, every day. I'm like, I don't know where to go. I don't see the signpost, right? I wish Hansel and Gretel left some breadcrumbs, right? So as we're making our way through the wilderness, we've got to beat down this path of lament to get back to God in right standing by saying, Lord, do you see me? Lament gives us this pathway to ask God, don't turn your face away. Please, I know I'm disgusting right now. I know I'm a mess right now. I tried to clean my life up, but it didn't work. Don't look away from me. This is the kind of pathway we can take back to God. Because I, I, and I know this happens in many of our hearts, and nobody has to raise their hands. But so often, after we've walked in sin, we don't want God to look at us. The only one who can help us, we don't want him to look at us. We want to hide. We want to run because we're experiencing shame. And that comes from the enemy. But God is saying, I still want you. Lament, asking how could this happen? What did I do to deserve this? And God, do you see me? It says, please see my broken heart. Please see my desperate need. And please heal me. And when we can lament over these things, church, we can begin to get free from these things. Lament is a pathway to freedom. I'm not, it's not a pathway to getting beat up. It's a pathway to freedom. When we can lament over our sin, our brokenness, locally in my own life and globally throughout the whole world. When we can lament over despair, when we can, look, we can lament over shame, God won't look away. He wants us. He still wants us. There's, there's a quote from a, a pastor that I, that I really like. Uh, his name's Matt Chandler. Uh, he preached this message. He's a pastor in Texas a church called the Village Church. He preached this message um, about a message that he went to. He went to a, a When he was in seminary, he saw a woman who uh, was a prostitute on the side of the street, and he would see her all the time. And he brought her to church with him because he heard that the pastor was giving a message on sexual purity, and he was like, maybe this would be a good idea, right? So he preaches this message about this encounter that he has where the pastor at the other church, he said, you know, I thought this would be a good idea for my friend. It was, in fact, the worst handling of sexual purity he's ever seen or heard in his whole life. So he he was just like aghast at this. But what this pastor did and, and as Matt Chandler is sitting here uh, with this woman who's trying to help her see the purity and the love of Jesus and that he he has not given up on her yet. This pastor passed a rose around and he said, I want everyone to touch this rose as I'm preaching this message. The rose makes its way through the whole congregation comes back up to the pastor. And as you can imagine, some of the petals have fallen off. It's broken. It's wilted. It's, it's just nasty. It doesn't look like a like a good rose anymore. And, and the pastor holds it up and he says, Now, who would want something that's so messed up like this? And Matt Chandler stands up and says, Jesus wants it. Jesus wants the rose. Whatever you've been through, whatever you've gone through, Jesus still wants you. And you can say, God, how could this happen? What did I do to deserve this? But God, do you see me? Do you see where I'm at right now? Because I need you. I can't do this anymore. And when we say, God, do you see me? He says, yes. And in fact, I've seen you all along and you've never been able to hide from me. And I already fixed this. When I sent Jesus, all of this was solved. When I sent Jesus, you had the appropriate place to take all of your lament. When the Son of God, the King of the universe, died on the cross. When the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who encountered all of these things, everything that I just read about Judah, he encountered in a similar way. He left his glory and lived in poverty, just like a glorious city in Jerusalem was now in ruins. He never sinned. Jesus' friends betrayed him, right? Jesus was handed over into another government occupying lordship over his life, right? Even though he was constantly under the lordship of God, the Roman government took control of his life. He was pierced. He was desecrated. He was crucified. He was humiliated, right? The Roman government, they they didn't crucify people uh, nude because it was more efficient they thought what more humiliating way can we think of than to have someone die naked nailed to a tree Jesus did all of this he went through all of this he was reviled he was assaulted so when we understand that and we start beating down the pathway of of the spiritual discipline of lament then we can look at Jesus and we can say oh yes What we're supposed to do here with these three hard questions that we're going to ask God. Somebody help me say three questions. Three questions we need to ask God. Remember the first one, how could this happen? We should say, how could this happen as we look upon the cross and repent of our own sin and say, how could this happen? How could the perfect, sinless savior of the world die? How could he get the punishment? How could this happen, God? And the second question, what did I do to deserve this? We look upon the cross and we repent of our own sin and lament of our own sin and say, what did he do to deserve this? I deserve that. I should be up there. What what did he do? Why is he incurring this? And the last question we ask as we look upon the cross and lament and repent of our own sin, God, do you see? Because there was a moment when he couldn't see. His son anymore There was a moment when he turned his face away So he would never have to turn his face away again There was a moment when he turned his face away And Jesus cried out, Father Why have you forsaken me? Why has the father looked away from the son? It's so Jesus could take every single thing That we could ever lament for So God would never have to look away from us again So God could look upon us clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. With all the pain we've gone through, with all the difficulty we've gone through, with all the, the, the terrible decisions we've made, with all of the mistakes we've made, with all the things and ways that people have taken advantage of us and abused us and lied to us and we gave ourselves to them and then they turned around and mocked us and spit upon us. We can say, God, do you see? And he says, yes. I see you, but I also see my son Jesus. I see your way out. I see that even though you're feeling it right now, even though you're experiencing the consequences of sin right now, there is coming a day. There is coming a day when there will be no pain, when there will be no tears, when there will be no sadness, when there will be no more wars or poverty or murder or rape or abuse. It will all be gone. That day is coming. And yes, I know the meanwhile can be a meanwhile, but you have Jesus. And you can have an abundant life here on earth. And the Holy Spirit of the living God is groaning, interceding on your behalf. When you don't even have words, the imagery of that text says the Holy Spirit sits down next to you and puts his arm around you and says, I get it. I get it. And I'm here with you because this is the will of God, is how that text ends. That the Holy Spirit is here with us, interceding for us. And then finally, after we've taken these steps with God, after we've said, How could this happen? After we've said, what did I do to deserve this? And after we say, God, do you see me right now? Do you see what has become of me? And then we take those same questions to the cross of Christ, and we say, Jesus didn't deserve that. And we say, God, you turned your face away for a moment. We know that that is our way of hope. And after... Finally, in the midst of the depth of our brokenness, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of I did it again after I said I would never do it again, God, in the midst of I can't take another breath, I can't take another step, we look at Jesus and we see hope personified. We look at Jesus and we say, you are renewing and remaking all things and everything is going to be made new one day and I can cling to you because when I look away from you, that's when my life gets confusing. But, but when I am fixed on Jesus, when my gaze is fixed on my Lord, everything seems to make sense. No matter the pain I'm experiencing, no matter the heartbreak all over the world, if I can just get my eyes on Jesus, everything makes sense somehow. And the cares of this world grow strangely dim. Why? Because Jesus took his lament to the Father. You see it in the garden, you see it on the cross. You see it in the high priestly prayer. You see the lament of Christ. He laments that things are not the way they should be, but I'm willing to die so that they will be again one day. One day things will be the way they should be, friends. And I know that on this short little journey of 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 110 years, whatever the Lord gives you of service to his name on this earth, I know it feels hard. I know it feels long, but God knows it better. (laughs) He knows everything you'll ever go through. So bring your lament to the Savior. Take your sorrow to the Savior, because he's the only one that can grant us to trust in him. Father, thank you. Thank you that we can trust you, God. Thank you that even though we have deep pain, even though we have deep sorrow, even though we've messed up again, God, that Jesus, you still want us. That you died for this, Jesus. You died so that your church would be unified. You died so that we could ask the hard questions of the Father. You died so that we could see the fullness of the grace that the Lord had for us in you on the cross, Jesus Christ, that we can cry, we can grieve, we can lament, lament, knowing that God knows everything, sees everything, and has already done everything to redeem us. Even if we don't feel it today, it is finished because Jesus said so on the cross. Even though we don't get to experience the glory of that fully, we still do look through a glass dimly lit and we encounter the implicit things of the gospel through the explicit things of the gospel. I know that I know that I know Jesus Christ hung, bled and died on that cross for me. I know he looked at me when that happened. And he said, son, it's okay. I know it's going to be hard. I know you're going to go through difficulty. But I took the pain that only I could have ever taken so that you wouldn't have to. So when you get mad, bring it to dad. When you get mad, bring it to a family meeting. I know that when when my children mess up and I say, what happened? And they say, we don't want to talk about it. It's just because they're embarrassed. But my heart for them is the same as God's heart for us. I don't care what it is. Bring it to me. I don't care how upset you are, bring it to me. I don't care if you're mad at me. You can hate me for a moment if you want, but I'm gonna love you out of it. So Jesus, as we bring our lives to you, as we bring this little bit that we have to you, we say thank you. And as we sing this song in celebration, that yes, it's a sermon series on lament, but we can celebrate because Jesus Christ has taken the penalty that we can say we don't have much to bring to you. And when I try to do it in my flesh, I fail. But whatever I do have, I wanna give it to you. Whatever I do have in my life, I wanna bring to you. Whatever broken thought patterns I have, I wanna bring it to you. Whatever crushed emotions I have, I wanna bring it to you because I know you can fix it. And I know you can handle it. And I know you've already given the solution for all of it. All the sin the world has ever known and will ever know has been defeated by Jesus on the cross. So please, King Jesus, teach us how to lament, teach us how to love you, teach us how to trust our Father with sovereignty, knowing that things are not the way they're supposed to be. But please use us to get them a little bit closer. We love you, we praise you, Jesus. We say thank you, we bless your name as we come together and say amen and hallelujah. Let's give Jesus praise as we stand to our feet, church.